I'm going to quickly turn this over to Seraphim. Once again, you heard us talk about this. It's been my desire for quite a long time to have our head of school come and speak to us about truly what is the heartbeat of St. Peter's Classical School. What's the heartbeat of its education? What's the heartbeat of its spirituality? Bottom line, with all of those things, what's the heartbeat of the ministry for the sake of the soul of all those children and parents who come and bring their kids here? What is the ministry of Christ for the sake of the souls through St. Peter's Classical School? And with that, I do turn it over to Seraphim. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Father. Christ is in our midst. He is so, um, Father gave me a, a four-point outline, which I think I'm going to follow. It will, it will keep things straightforward. So, I'm going to introduce myself, number one. Second, talk about our overall philosophy of education at St. Peter's. Third, talk a little bit about classical education. Right? What is classical education? And in particular, how is it a great match and actually a great ministry from an Orthodox point of view? And then lastly, a little bit about the vision for the school. What's going to happen? And what do we believe that God is bringing uh, for St. Peter's, the church, and the school working together as a ministry? So first, to, to introduce myself a little bit, I'm married. You probably saw my five children. Uh, we brought them into the church the whole time, and you know, we, we kind of did okay. So um, I'm a hybrid creature in the sense that I'm neither a cradle Orthodox nor a typical convert. My entire family converted to the church from Episcopalianism when I was 11. So I remember very much being in, in Protestant churches. We were very active, and I was, yet I was a participant as a young child in the conversion, and all of my formative years in high school and college were spent within the church. I spent my summers in high school living and working at a Romanian Orthodox convent in Michigan, which is very famous under the spiritual direction of Father Roman Braga, who was a confessor for the faith, imprisoned in communist Romania in various times for 11 years total, including three years in solitary confinement for his ministry in the church. So he, he recently reposed in the Lord, but he's a modern-day saint and elder. You can find some recordings of him online if you're interested. He was a tremendous influence on my life. I went to um, Hillsdale College and studied classics, and then I went immediately to seminary to prepare to become an Orthodox priest at Holy Cross Greek Orthodox School of Theology, where I taught ancient Greek at the seminary, and I also taught Latin at Boston University while I was taking my time, and I was an exchange student at Harvard Divinity School during those years. I met my wife, Anne, whom you saw when I was on a fellowship, and so was she, it turned out, to learn Romanian at Indiana University one summer. We got married, and then we lived in absolute bliss for two years on the campus of Holy Cross. Boston is just an amazing place to be a student or graduate student. I really recommend it. So we were in this little Orthodox village of, of Holy Cross where we had daily liturgy, daily vespers, full liturgical cycle, friends who were uh, around us and young families, and yet we had no children at the time, and she was working at Harvard Business School, so we had disposable income and could travel around New England. It was amazing. Um, 
Since those times, I've been in academic administration and nonprofit fundraising for the last 13 years, including a period of time at St. Ticon's Orthodox Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania, and then about five years at Princeton Theological Seminary, where I co-founded an organization called the Father George Florosky Orthodox Theological Society of Princeton University. And we hosted four major international theological conferences while I was working on my PhD in that time. And so if anyone is interested from that time especially, I, I wrote and published a number of theological articles on Orthodox theology that appear in a variety of journals around the world and then also co-edited two books coming out of those conferences. One is on the patristic doctrine of atonement called On the Tree of the Cross, and the other is on the patristic doctrine of the Bible, Scripture, what is it? And that book is called What is the Bible? Um, now, I am blessed to be here at this place, which I really believe brings together my three great passions in life. Uh, ministry in the Orthodox Church, first, second, classical education, and third, nonprofit leadership. I came to St. Peter's Classical School as the new headmaster because I believe in 10 years it will be the best Christian classical school in Texas and the leading Orthodox school of any kind in the nation. There are two parts to that vision. The best Christian classical school here in this place, in this state, and also the leading Orthodox school in the nation. I'll talk a little bit more about how, how those two kind of realities come together and make both sides of the, the equation possible. Ultimately, as that vision comes to fruition through God's providence, it will be an amazing testimony to the leadership of this parish and a truly distinctive ministry, I believe. As the school improves and grows, so too will the parish. I believe that our futures, St. Peter's Church and St. Peter's School, are linked and God's hand will be at work in building up the witness in Fort Worth of both the church and the school together. So that's my introduction about myself. Um, secondly, our overall philosophy of education at St. Peter's. If you walk in those doors in the vestibule, you'll see a quote over the main entrance. All the kids, parents, teachers walk through those doors, and above it, there's a maxim from St. Theophon the Recluse, a famous 19th century Russian Orthodox saint. And it says, Of all holy works, the education of children is the most holy. I think we should reflect on that a little bit, especially here in an Orthodox church, in an Orthodox context, because... Uh, it doesn't say this, it just says St. Theophon written on the wall, but his, his famous title is St. Theophon the Recluse. He was um, a hermit. He became a bishop and disliked it so much that he decided to stop being a bishop and just you know, live in a cell and pray and read theology and write letters all the time. Right? So he's a quintessential orthodox saint. Right? Sometimes if you read our monastic and ascetical and spiritual literature in the orthodox church, you get the impression that orthodox spirituality emphasizes interior purity. Right? It's, in a certain sense, monastic and reclusive. It's about prayer, fasting, custody of the heart, perhaps generosity, maybe. Right? But um, St. Theophon, this recluse, says that of all these things, all these spiritual disciplines, what comes before it? 
education of children. That's the most holy work we can undertake. Now, I believe that that's true, and I think that that's especially true when you approach education as we do at St. Peter's from a holistic point of view, where it's not merely about learning the bare minimum or preparing people to be functional adults, but rather it's something much more expansive than that. So if you look actually at the school's mission, it says that what we're trying to do is educate our students, and then it lists three things. You're probably familiar. Number one, cultivating the intellect. Number two, building character. And third, nurturing the life of the spirit. That's the whole person, right? Uh, The intellect. All right, that makes sense. That's what a lot of schools are about. Character, secondly, uh, which is really, especially from an orthodox point of view, about the will leading to the practice of virtue. And then third, nurturing the life of the spirit. That's the inner world, the world of the heart, where Christ reigns. Now, obviously, in in most schools, you're going to get the first. You're probably not going to get much of the second. You're certainly not going to get the third. When we approach the whole person, that's where transformation occurs. Uh, To be a classical school, as we are, is to teach the liberal arts, even with young kids. Um, The liberal arts, you've probably heard that phrase before, but it's a phrase that we take very seriously with an awareness of its long tradition in the Hellenic and Christian tradition in particular. Um, If you're interested, there's famous books on the history of education in in the Western world. I'm thinking of one by Henri Maru where he speaks of the history of the liberal arts. By liberal arts, artes liberalis in Latin, is meant education, pedia, which is quite intentionally not career preparation. It's not oriented towards utilitarian ends, but rather it's focused most of all on the formation of mind and character, intellect and character like in our mission, but specifically focused on the mind and character such that it's shaping free and noble men. That's why it's called liberal, right? Liberal or focused on human freedom because it's the kind of education one needs to actually be free to master one's own mind, will, heart, and spiritual identity as a complete and self-aware human person. For the ancient Greeks, the Athenians in particular, such eleftherios pedia, that's what they called it, not liberal arts, eleftherios pedia, it was a requirement. You had to undergo eleftherios pedia if you wanted to participate in the ecclesia. Now this is very interesting. We'll return to this. The ecclesia in ancient Greek was the body that governed the affairs of state the police in this case. So if you wanted to be someone who took care of the common good, who voted, you had to first go through Eleftherios Pethia. And the amazing thing for the Greek fathers, which we'll talk about a little bit, this tradition of humane education was very intentionally baptized and made subject to what St. Paul in Ephesians calls the Pethia of the Lord. So in Greek, education is pedia. Um, in Latin, it's humanitas. Um, 
I'm going to reflect you know, maybe a, a little bit on that word humanitas in Latin because I think it shows exactly what we're trying to produce in students at St. Peter's. Um, if you look up humanitas in any good Latin dictionary, it will tell you everything that we're trying to do at St. Peter's and specifically how classical education is so different from most educational approaches, specifically because of its high-minded pursuit of holistic formation of the whole human person. So if you look it up, which I did um, last night, there's basically three definitions of humanitas. The first is just humanity. It's, it's a human person. Um, but that's quite import, important because we seek to form the human person as God intends that person to be. Second, the second main usage, this is interesting, is humane or gentle conduct towards others. What we usually mean when we say, you know, he's a humane person, right? He exhibits philanthropy, kindness towards others. This gets to the character element of our mission, right? So we're touching on character and virtue. That's inherent in the word humanitas. And then the third definition is mental cultivation befitting a man. Liberal education, good breeding, elegance of manners or language, refinement. That's just what the dictionary says. So, in short, a gentleman or a gentle lady, right? Do such people still exist? They do according to the classical vision of education, the Eleftheriospedia, which has been baptized and refounded. And this is why it's so amazing that we're a classical school in an orthodox context. It's been baptized and refounded on divine revelation in the context of Christ's body, his church. And that leads to Father Mark's third point for me, which is what's classical education, particularly in an orthodox context? This is so amazing. There are, there are you know, a number of Christian classical schools in Fort Worth, in Dallas, Fort Worth, in Texas. Um, there, there's none that are orthodox. And yet, uniquely amongst Christian traditions, you'll see that this is precisely the place that we should be investing in classical education. So, you want to know how the greatest church fathers, the so-called doctors of the church, were educated? Uh, quite simply, they did two things. I'm thinking of St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil the Great, if you read their lives. They did two things in their formative period, both as children and through university. They went to church a lot, that's the first thing, and then they studied the classics. Those two, they had that Eleutherios Pedia. So if you want to produce saints, new fathers of the church, new mothers of the church, new Christian leaders who set the world on fire for God, his church, and yes, have the character and charisma to lead also in other sectors of life, medicine, law, and so on, the formula is actually very straightforward. And it includes three components. This I'm straying a little bit from um, their life, and I'm, I'm bringing in one of my passions is actually research on faith formation in American teenagers. And there's a broad literature that looks at why do some people, why do so many kids fall away from the church? And what, amongst the few who stick, what made the difference, right? And there's really three components. The first is a vibrant and godly home where dad in particular professes Christ. 
That's the first. The second is incorporation into the body of Christ, the parish, here. And then third, you won't find this as much in the literature, but I want to suggest if we look at the lives of the saints, third is a classical education. Meaning in particular, and you will find this in the literature on faith formation, the critical thing in addition to family, dad, parish, the next critical thing is an adult interlocutor, an adult mentor who in discussion and in witness actually shows the young person what it means to be an adult Christian, right? So if you want to produce an adult Christian, you can't segregate them. They've got to be in conversation and engagement with other adults. And that's something that we have very uniquely in a classical format, right? Because we build this intense relationship of dialogue with adult teacher and teenage student. And that's critical to actually producing a faithful disciple of Christ. And it's really, I guess, it's, uh, um, this is undercutting my ministry a little bit in terms of the school, but it's truly in that order of importance. right? Um, number one, it starts with parents. It starts with the home. And no one can replace mom or dad. It just can't be done. You can't outsource that to anyone else. Um, you are the main father in Christ and also actually their main teacher. Secondly, it continues with the parish, especially with the encounter of Christ sacramentally in the Eucharist and in learning and in putting to practice the disciplines of prayer and fasting, custody of the heart, not just here, but this is the critical piece that's often missing um, in daily life, which means in school and in the home. And then third, I'd like to suggest that it's really capped by, in the classical tradition, what we call rhetorical education. That's the final phase of the typical educational process, the trivium, right, which you may have heard of, um, which the fathers passed through, which basically every educated person would have passed through until maybe the 20th century. You had grammar, logic, and rhetoric as the three main phases of your educational formation. So rhetoric is really critical. Um, it's, what, it's where teenagers or young people are challenged very explicitly. They're not just told, but they're encouraged to engage hard questions and make sense, their own sense of how God's story fits into their personal story. So as the word rhetoric indicates, it's very much about speech. Right? And I think that, especially as Christians, we should know that there's power in the word. Right? There's transformative intellectual and spiritual power in using this tongue, using these vocal cords, and professing Christ. Right? Um, and professing the truth. Young people, if you want them to be Christians or if you just want them to be leaders of any kind, they can't just be told or taught. They can't sit in the classroom or sit in the home and be told what's right. They must practice the art of speaking themselves. They have to learn to articulate. They must write persuasively. They must argue, search, struggle, and debate. They must give voice and give word to the truth. The ancients called this developing eloquence. One can never truly understand anything, any subject, unless he can explain it. 
unless he can not only explain, but persuade others about it. And there's power in this speech. Power not only in persuading others, but in forming your own heart. We do this all the time at St. Peter's in the classroom. But you can do it too, I'd like to suggest at home. Most of all, at the dinner table. Can you practice the art of speaking about God and God's plan at the dinner table? Can you help the young people in your life learn to speak those words and articulate those realities that God is holy and he's calling us to be holy as well? So let me, that was a bit of a a tangent, but fills the picture out a little bit. Let me return more precisely to classical education and its connection to orthodoxy, especially. The church fathers weren't only classically educated, they explicitly encouraged others to approach learning likewise. And I'm not talking here in the narrow sense of going to school, right? And so... I think this is important because it applies to all of us here, right? And to your kids wherever you're sending them. So I'm talking specifically about how one learns, which, to be honest, most schools actually prevent their students from doing, right? So as to learning how a Christian should approach the acquisition of knowledge and the enjoyment of human culture, the church fathers employed a very famous biblical illusion. You may have heard it. It's called plundering the Egyptians. Um, It's a great phrase, like plundering the Egyptians. It's from Exodus, specifically Exodus chapter 12. The church fathers believe and teach us that Christians should engage all areas of human knowledge and culture, refining them for Christian purposes. So let me just tease this out a little bit. Here's the the key two verses in Exodus. This comes during the Passover, basically, right? So God has commanded the Israelites, you know, to put the blood over their door, and there's this final plague, and all the firstborn are killed, and finally the Egyptians say, oh, get, you know, just get out of here, right? We don't want you anymore. And there's these curious two little verses right after this happens which the church fathers really draw us our, our attention to. It's Exodus 12, 35 and 36. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. If you just read the story, it's, it's kind of like this weird little interlude, right? You don't really remember when exactly did they, did they ask for these things and how does this relate? And, you know, in the arc of the narrative, the Israelites are trying to get out. They're, they're the ones who are being oppressed. And yet the scripture is telling us here, actually, they're plundering the Egyptians. They're the ones who are doing the aggressive action. So it's a little strange, you might just read right past it, but the church fathers point this out. And St. Irenaeus of Lyon in particular created this famous idea of plundering the Egyptians. In his interpretation, we're going to get allegorical again, just like, like Father did. The Israelites, those who are plundering the Egyptians, symbolize us. The Israelites are the church, right? Always, right? If you, if you read the Old Testament from a Christian point of view, the church is the new Israel. So these Israelites are us, the church. And the gold, silver, and clothes 
relics of the Egyptians represent human knowledge and culture, the arts and sciences. Homer, the Greek philosophers, the Roman orators, all of human knowledge and all things of human creation that have something good, beautiful, or true in them, in science, literature, theater, art, so on. You see the analogy here? Here's us, the church. Here's all this stuff which you might think is of the world or of this stuff, just this intellectual stuff that, that we kind of teach kids in school, right? Or which we might pay attention to if we're a brainy sort of person. Um, if Israel is the church and the gold of the Egyptians is human culture, then that means God, actually, the fathers say, commands the church to plunder human culture and human knowledge, all of this learning, specifically in order to adorn and grow his church. If you keep reading in Exodus 12, as the fathers point out, later on, after the Israelites had successfully fled Egypt, they used that gold and silver, which they had plundered from the Egyptians, in order to make the holy objects of the tabernacle, the gold cups, the gold showbread plates, the gold candlesticks, and even the Ark of the Covenant itself, the most holy liturgical item of ancient Israel, like unto the tabernacle of our altar. That gold came from the dirty Egyptians, right? So according to St. Irenaeus and a number of church fathers after him, the church herself, the Orthodox Church, is commanded by God to penetrate culture, penetrate human knowledge, take its best resources, melt them down, refine them, and utilize them for the benefit of the church and the glory of God. Quite simply, that's what we're doing here at St. Peter's. At the school as our ministry and calling, and at the parish insofar as it is your vision and care which continues to make that ministry possible. We are melting down the gold of human knowledge and building tabernacles of the spirit in the minds and hearts of the students under our tutelage. You can find this image plundering the Egyptians employed by many of the greatest church fathers. And I don't think that's an accident. Um, St. Irenaeus of Lyon created it, but it's picked up by Origen, St. Gregory the Theologian, St. John Chrysostom, St. Ambrose, and then most significantly and at the greatest length by the church's greatest Latin father, St. Augustine, who employs it at, at length in several of his most famous works. To plunder the Egyptians, one must first know the Egyptians, right? And that means studying. In our context, right, if the Egyptians are human knowledge, that means if we're to be faithful to God's call to the church, we must first study the greatest literary, philosophical, theological, and scientific minds in Western civilization. We still do that here at St. Peter's Classical School, specifically because we know from our own Orthodox tradition, from the witness of the fathers, God's intention for such things and the intellectual and spiritual fruit that comes for the church and the world when we do so. So that's uh, the third point on classical education and orthodoxy. That leads to the, to the last one, which is vision for the school moving forward. 
I mentioned at the beginning that, that I believe that St. Peter's Classical School will be the best Christian classical school in Texas and the leading Orthodox school in the nation. Um, the two sides of that, right? It's possible on the one hand because the first part, being a great Christian classical school in Texas, means that we can draw on a large network which extends beyond just the walls of this community, right? There's no reason that everyone within driving distance of this place shouldn't be interested in sending their kids here, regardless of their faith background, right? So we can, it, we can really have an evangelical witness and an opportunity for outreach, bringing the whole community from above Fort Worth and beyond here to St. Peter's. That's one side. And then the other side, we also have this tremendous opportunity as an Orthodox school to draw on a nationwide network of talent and funding. And that really will put us ahead of our competitors, so to speak. We can be deeply rooted and ecumenically oriented here and also nationally expansive and drawing very intentionally on the full resources of the Orthodox Church in this country. Um, there's a lot of steps we have to take to get there, but I'd just like to share a few of the things that we're already doing so that you get a sense of <coughs> what's going on. Our, our first goal, very tangibly, is to grow our enrollment this year so that at the beginning of the 2020 academic year, we have 100 students here on this campus. So you can play a role in, in that effort. We're really increasing our marketing, our outreach, our person-to-person -person kind of interactions, but you play a tremendous role in spreading the word and encouraging people to come and visit. And we very specifically have that 100-student goal. Um, the board has committed itself to three major strategic initiatives this year. The first is board development, growing its own capacity to be a governing board. The second is fundraising and finance. And then the third, and this is really the critical one as we look at this, is we're putting together on paper an actual five-year business plan. If our goal is to be what I said, how do we get from here to there? And what are all of the milestones? What does it cost? How do we get the money? How do we grow the networks? We're actually fleshing it out, right? And putting yearly goals for ourselves in a variety of different aspects. That's an ongoing process, but what we hope is that by the end of this academic year, um, we're going to move from here's the big notion to here are you know, our actual steps that we're gonna take. Um, much more presently, I'd like to share just three new programs which I've introduced, which are intentionally designed to increase the brand awareness of St. Peter's Classical School as a place for intellectual and spiritual enrichment and as a place that if you have kids or grandkids, you should consider. Um, so the first actually starts tomorrow night. It's a Distinguished Speaker Series three, four, maybe five times a year, uh, we'll be inviting high-profile speakers of various backgrounds from throughout the world and the country to come to St. Peter's. And those speakers will do several things. They'll address all of our students. They'll guest teach um, key classes. They'll spend time with faculty. And they'll give a public lecture. 
So Bishop Neofitos coming tomorrow is our first chance to do this. And I think this is a great illustration of how the growing ministry of the school is also an opportunity for evangelism and growth of the parish. Because in general, um, you know, what I see the Distinguished Speaker series doing, aside from really enriching the student and faculty experience, is actually providing an opportunity to employ the power of invitation. Right. Um, probably some of you are maybe I know you've been talking about evangelism. If you look at all, any any kind of of survey of unchurched people or low church people, why and you ask why did you go to church? You know what's the number one reason why they came to visit? It's because a friend asked them. Right. A friend or family member asked them. That's the power of invitation. There's nothing more effective in growing the church or growing the school than simply inviting. Right? You just have to invite people to come and see, to experience, to actually see it themselves. And so the Distinguished Speaker Series gives us a reason to invite and a reason to invite a broad, broad network. Bishop Neofitos um, you know, happens to be more of interest to people who are Christianly oriented, who are Orthodox oriented, but even so, perhaps for the first time in quite a while, um, Orthodox clergy and leaders from five or six area churches are going to be here tomorrow. Right. So this is a way to grow our network. Our other, our other speakers are going to have different networks that they're going to bring. And probably all of them, have, you have someone in your life who's going to be interested in meeting them and hearing them. So this is an opportunity to employ the power of invitation, invitation to the school and the church, both. Um, secondly, in terms of new programs, we're going to be taking a trip to England in the spring. And what, I, what I've mentioned this at my Meet the Head events, the way that I'm positioning these trips, at least for now, is that it's a St. Peter's community learning and pilgrimage opportunity, right? So um, first dibs, we'll go to the high school students, but I'd love to see a broad-based community pilgrimage, right, from the church and even anyone in Fort Worth who's interested in going in on a trip which is really unique, which does two things. This is true in this case and in all of our future trips. It brings together intellectual and spiritual enrichment from a classical point of view. So in England, we're going to be visiting what may be the oldest Christian house church in the world, Certainly the oldest Christian house church outside of Syria, uh, which just happens to be in Roman Britain. And so we'll be able to actually go to a place where Christians have been gathering for worship and Eucharist since possibly the late 2nd century, early 3rd century. You can't go to an, you know, an earlier church that's, uh, you know, that's still extant. And then we'll be going to places of pilgrimage for... Western Christian saints before the schism throughout England, as well as a number of classical sites and you know the typical sites that you would expect in England. But it's an opportunity to experience the um, intellectual history of England and its spiritual ancient Christian history together. Um, so that will be, if you're interested in that, we'll be putting out promotional material about it very soon, and um, anyone is welcome. 
students, students first, but then anyone here in this room, or if you have friends or family that might be interested. Um, and then third, we're working on introducing a summer camp this summer, which will be a summer camp of arts and sciences, a really unique opportunity, again, for older students and for adults to taste a little bit of what I was talking about. And we'll have one week which is focused on the humanities and arts, and it looks like at least one of the tracks which you could sign up for will be iconography. Um, so there'll be a master iconographer who will come and teach the theology, symbolism, and practice of actually making an icon. And you'll make an icon over the course of the week. And um, her name is Lynette Hall, and she in particular is very, a very gifted iconographer in the Russo-Byzantine tradition, which uses um, egg tempera and use, uh, it's really amazing, she makes her own pigments using berries and rocks and you know so you're painting as someone would have painted in medieval you know Christian Europe um, so that will be kind of the art side and there'll be another week which will be scientifically oriented probably we're going to do something related either to software engineering or to drones um, so so you'll, you'll be able to um, build, you learn the aerodynamic, like the science of drones, and then also, you know, have a little fun too. So those, that, that will be forthcoming. These are all, I mention these just because um, the overall motivation for this is to create opportunities where people come here, right? Um, and also for you, actually, where the sort of education that we offer, both intellectually and spiritually, is accessible broadly to the entire community. So um, that's all I, I had for 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 my talk. What are we? What was I supposed to do in terms of time? Because I nailed it. Okay, good. <laughs> all right. Well, I see. Yes, I was over half an hour, so that's probably enough. No, no, that was wonderful, uh, and thank you very much. <laughs> Seraphim, as yet. To truly comprehend and understand the blessing it is for me of his leadership and all the gifts that he brings to the table, but also his humble heart, because his heart is truly to pour into these kids. I can't tell you how many of the upper school students, including my own, Jesse, he's trying to help Jesse pour into him and find his way, stretch his thinking, provide other adults to help guide him along his way in the trajectory that he's choosing, and that's his heart for all of the children. But my friends, you just heard the heartbeat of this school. And I hope you were blessed by it. Because what God, I believe, is, has been doing and is setting up to do over there is a tremendous work. But it's a tremendous work that will, that will uh, need our continued cooperation and prayer, which we're all set to do. We'll be doing many things together, like tomorrow night, but also the Fall Festival on October 26th. We're working together, again, a community gathering to draw folks with children both to the church and to the school that maybe they'll partake of some of this that they heard today. So I ask you to keep Seraphim in your prayers as the head of school. Keep the board in your prayers, the faculty and the young souls and minds that are over there. Please keep them in your intercessions that God's will be done and He be glorified in everything that is done over there. Let's stand.